0: Good morning. Welcome to Church in the Valley. My name is Matt Sprinkle, and I'm the associate pastor here. And I'm glad that you're joining us today. I'm continuing our message series called "The Divine Descent," and we're looking at how God, in His great love and wisdom and perfect timing, has descended into human history to save the world, to bring salvation and life and redemption to all of us. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a great season where we celebrate the birth of Christ. And today, I'm going to be focusing on the timing. The perfect timing when the sun was sent forth into this world. Now, timing is a very important thing, as we all know, but especially during the holiday seasons. You see, during the holiday seasons, we're trying to find that perfect gift, and that takes time. Finding a great gift is, uh, is difficult. And if you don't find a, a good gift, then you end up giving gift cards, you know, to like Applebee's. And, and that's fine, but you, you really want to find that perfect gift, and that just takes a lot of time. And there's also the issue of our supply chain shortage. If you don't get on the computer now and order things from Amazon, they may not show up on time, maybe on a boat somewhere in the Long Beach Harbor, or maybe they'll get stuck in some basement in the United States Postal Service somewhere. We have to decide about timing regarding travel. Who are you going to go see this holiday? How long are we going to stay? When do we leave? And then if you're a kid, the timing of the holidays, it always seems too long until you get to Christmas morning. The holiday starts for some people even before December 1st, but the presents start being placed under the tree, and it's forever until you get to open them. When I was a kid, we didn't open presents until like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We had to wait for all of our family to arrive, and then we took pictures, and then we ate, and then finally we got to open the presents. Oh, it just felt like it took so long. And that's not unlike what it was like for that generation of of Israelites who were waiting and waiting for the Messiah to be sent into the world. The holiday season can also be a time when we, we feel regret, like we've missed opportunities in the past. Maybe the kids have grown up and we're thinking about what we should have done or should have said, or we have some sort of regret about relationships of the past. As we get older, we we tend to look to the future and we can we can feel like our best days are behind us. You know, what's left for me to do? And we can feel useless. But the message of Christmas, and really the, the focus of our message today, is that God descended into time to redeem this world and to redeem our lives. And our God can make the most out of every day, every moment that we have left. we will trust him if we'll obey his commands. That's key. When you have faith, you trust God for the future, and you obey God in the here and now. And so I hope today you'll be encouraged, you'll be renewed in your faith this Christmas season. Now, this issue of timing is repeatedly brought up in the Scriptures. In the New Testament, you read in Galatians chapter 4 the following. It says, When the time came to completion, the Son, God sent his Son. When the time came to completion, God had decided, before he created the world, exactly when his son would be sent forth into the world. It was all according to his plan. But for us, who live in time, we tend to feel like our world is being ruled by you know, chaotic forces, by powerful people, by circumstances beyond our control, but this is not true. Our God is in control of the world. He loves this world. He loves you and I. And he intends to save this world. And we see in Christmas that God, in his wisdom, appointed the exact time and place that the Lord Jesus would come. We see the faithfulness of God to fulfill all the promises he made over the thousands of years to his people. We see his wisdom. We see his ability. We see his love. And now we, as the people of God, followers of Jesus Christ, we, we proclaim him. We say, Jesus is Lord. This is great news. Rejoice. Right? We we tell people, <clears throat> um, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth Receive her king. That's our message because it's true. The Lord Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, and Christmas is His advent when He came and became one of us. And so, be encouraged today as you go out, um, as you as you go into this Christmas season with the time that we have left. I hope that you will do so just filled with a real joy, a, a confident faith, and that you'll be looking at your day and your family and your relationships and your work with new eyes. Now. The scripture says that angels long to look into these things. So let's look into them together. Let's see how God is in control of our world. The story that we're going to be looking at is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. It's the birth of Christ. And this is what it says. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered, with Mary, his betrothed, who was his child, or who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, this is a familiar story. But I want you to notice a couple things. Notice how it starts with Caesar Augustus, ruler of the world, and it goes all the way down to this baby born in a manger. Julius Caesar was the Roman general who crossed the Rubicon, destroyed the Republic, and named himself Caesar, Emperor. He was killed in the Senate, and his adopted son, Octavian, became the Emperor of Rome. This is the Caesar Augustus we see in this story. Now, Augustus is a divine title. The Romans began to worship the emperors as gods. And so this is the degree, the decree of the God King, Caesar Augustus. And he orders everyone in the world because he's the ruler of the world. And then it says Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And then it goes down to Joseph and Mary, these two figures in Jerusalem, or in uh, Judea, <clears throat> down to the baby in this story who doesn't even have a name yet. And when you read the story, who's in control? It looks like the powerful. It looks like Caesar Augustus. He made his decree, but actually God is in control. God is in control of all of this. It's not Caesar Augustus who is the the God-man, but it's this child, Jesus, who is the God-man. It's not Caesar Augustus who is the king of the world. It's this child who is the king of the world. And yet, it's the decree of Caesar that makes it all happen, right? No. You see, the people of God had been told for thousands of years more and more details about the coming Messiah, the king that was going to be sent from God, the king that was promised. And long before Caesar Augustus was alive, long before Julius Caesar was alive, before Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire in 331 B.C., before there was a Persian Empire, 700 years before the birth of Christ, God told his people through the prophet Micah that his son will be born in Bethlehem. That's where God had decided he would be born, and that's exactly where he was born. And you see it in Micah 5. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, you're not even big enough to be called a clan. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. I decided a long time ago that this is where my son will be born. And that's exactly where Jesus was born. So you think it's Caesar Augustus who's in charge? You think the decree of Caesar is the reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Oh, no. It was the decree of God that that Caesar Augustus would decree the census. God is in control. Now, why did God choose this time? Why did he choose this place? Why was this the perfect time for the Savior to come in the world? We don't know. Lots of people speculate. They say, well, it was the Roman roads or it was the unified Greek language that the Romans had. No, God doesn't need Roman roads or a unified language to send in his son. God could have sent his son any anytime he wanted, but he chose this time because this was when he had decided the fullness of time that the Savior would come. Our God is in control. Caesar's not in control. I'm not in control. You're not in control. Joe Biden's not in control. The weather is not in control. God is in control. And he is directing history towards his decided ends. And his, his intention is to bring salvation to this world. Now, the prophets of old, they were looking to figure out who the Messiah was going to be, when he was going to come, what he was going to do. They were searching diligently to figure it out. And we see this in Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. Peter writes concerning the salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They were looking they were trying to figure out when the savior of the world was going to be born, inquiring of what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news. To you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You see, God had told his people a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more about this coming Messiah, and the prophets had tried to put it all together. Even the prophet Daniel was given a revelation. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, God tells Daniel that four hundred and eighty-three years into the future, the Messiah would be cut off, that he would be killed. And the Jews knew this. They knew that this was going to happen. They were something like a shot clock or a countdown. And so around the time of the birth of Christ, there were all sorts of Messiah pretenders, fake Messiahs, rising up, claiming to be the one sent from God. And we see this as we look at the historical record from the scriptures. For example, Paul, who is an apostle, a first century church planter, he was actually trained by a rabbi named Gamaliel. And he was a very, uh, very important guy, a very um, uh, popular uh, Pharisee. He had a place in the ruling council called the Sanhedrin, which ruled over Israel. And after they had crucified Christ, and after God raised him from the dead, and after he ascended back to his throne, his people, the Christians, the church, they began to spread out and tell everybody about Jesus, that he was Lord, Jesus is Lord, that Jesus had risen from the dead, and that these Sanhedrin leaders had murdered him. And so they tried to silence the the Christians, but they wouldn't stop. And so they were discussing with one another, what do we do? And Gamaliel stood up in the middle of the assembly, and this is what he said. He said, listen, everyone, you know that this kind of thing has been happening a lot. He says, for before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. There was a fake messiah named Thaddeus. He had a bunch of disciples who followed him. And what happened to Thaddeus? Gamaliel recounts to them, he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Didn't work out. Then he says, after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census. The census, when Caesar Augustus, king of the world, ordered everyone to go and be registered. In the days of the census, this guy Judas the Galilean rose up, and he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. In other words, these were fake messiahs. They were all killed. They didn't rise from the dead. Their disciples were scattered. And if this Jesus isn't the messiah, then the disciples will be scattered as well. But if you're fighting against God, you're not going to win. So the point is, is that the people of God were anticipating, they were waiting, they were looking for the Messiah to come because God had said, this is exactly when it's going to happen. And he did what he said he was going to do. God is in control of this world. He was in control of the world 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ descended and became a man, and he's in control of the world today. This should give us confidence. How do we respond to this truth? We respond in faith. This is my first application for today's sermon. Respond in faith and be merry, be happy, be joyful. Sing and rejoice in your homes, with your family, with your kids, at your church, in your job. As you go about your days, have a song of gratitude and joy. Sing the Christmas songs. Rejoice. This is how we respond in faith to the truth that God is in control. Don't give in to fear. Don't lose hope. Don't despair. Don't give up and quit because you think everything is lost, America's lost, my, my marriage is lost, my kids are lost, my, my job is lost, my circumstances are lost, don't give in to that because God is in control and he knows how to redeem every time. He knows how to work in time here and now. Rejoicing is a very, very powerful weapon for Christians. Worship is our warfare. Think about what happened when Jesus arrived. When the angels came before the shepherds, what did they do? They sang, they praised. And what did the shepherds do when they found Jesus in the manger? They went out singing and praising God and telling everybody. What did Mary do when the angel told her that she was going to be the mother of the Lord Jesus? She wrote her famous song, the Magnificat. My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. She sang. And what did Simeon and the old widow who were in the temple courts when Jesus was brought after eight days, when they saw the Messiah, In the temple courts, what do they do? They praise, they rejoice, they sing. This is the appropriate response for God's people because singing is a combination of humility, gratitude, and adoration all rolled into one. When you sing to God, when you sing these songs of hope and truth and joy, it fills your heart with faith. It gives you strength. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that when you're filled with the Spirit, one of the results of that is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs being sung. By God's people. God's people always have a tune in their hearts. My sons, I have three of them. I teach them as future men, they were created to praise and glorify God. That we were created to sing, to praise God. This is part of what we were created to do. And so don't think of it as a small thing. Don't despise small things. Small things have great power. The baby born in the manger was a small thing. And he is the ruler of heaven and earth now. We worship, we sing, we praise together. And our faith and our worship, it conquers this world. That's what it says in the scriptures. That's what John, the apostle of Jesus, said in 1 John 5. He says, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. How? How do they conquer the world? Do they do it with a sword? Do they do it with money? Do they do it with really good arguments? No. He says, this is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. Our faith expressed in rejoicing and prayer and happiness And gladness and thankfulness for what God is doing, for the truth that our God is in charge, that he's in control, that he can take care of us, that he can take any mess that we're dealing with and clean it up. That's what fills our hearts with singing and joy. So this Christmas season, use this as an opportunity to reignite your joy through singing. We're going to be singing songs at our church, in our Christmas service, with our kids. Sing those songs. Think about the words and praise God for what he's doing. He is in control. The second major thing that I learned as I've studied the perfect timing of the birth of Christ is that God sent his son. He descended into time because God loves the world. He loves this world. <clears throat> Sometimes you get the impression that God is angry at this world. and He's going to destroy this world. And he's got his arms crossed like this and a big frown on his face. And he's just mad at everybody. That's not the picture in the scriptures. God sent his son into the world. Why? Because he loves this world. And nothing shows us the love of the Lord Jesus than when we consider all that he gave up to become one of us, he gave up so much to become a man he didn't need us. Jesus didn't need to become a man because he was bored or he, he was uh, you know lacking something. He was busy before he was incarnated in flesh before he was a man incarnation. What was the Son doing before he descended into time? Well, as we saw last week, he was creating and sustaining the universe. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe. You see this in Colossians chapter one. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, Caesar Augustus, Abraham Lincoln, Napoleon, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. You pick the ruler of authority. The Lord Jesus is in charge. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus was busy before he became a man. He was creating and sustaining the universe. Yes, but he had to become a man so that he could rule and reign over the universe, right? He's the King of Kings now, but he he needed to become a man so that he could become the King of Kings. No, not according to the scriptures. You see, the prophet Isaiah he saw God sitting upon a throne. It says in Isaiah six one. In the year that Uzziah, the king, died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He was brought up into the temple, uh, heavenly throne room. He saw God sitting upon the throne, ruling heaven and earth. And in the book of John, we find out that that person was Jesus. In John 12:41, it says, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus' glory, and spoke of him. That figure, the Lord sitting upon the throne, that was the Lord Jesus ruling and reigning before he ever became a man. This prophecy, this thing that that Isaiah saw happened 700 years before Christ became a man. He didn't have to become a man to rule heaven and earth. He was already doing that. He was busy. Yes, but he had to become a man so that after he became a man, he could, you know, collect a nation, a church, a a people for himself. No, he already had a nation for himself. The nation was Israel. Jesus's half-brother Jude, who was an apostle, He writes this in his letter. Now, I want to remind you, Christians, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt. I thought that was the Lord. Yes, the Lord Jesus. He's the one who destroyed Pharaoh's armies. He's the one who poured out the plagues upon Egypt. He's the one who delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea. He's the one who brought them across the desert. Lord Jesus had a people that were His own before He became a man. So then, why did He become a man? Why did God? Why did the Divine descend into time? Why? Because He loves this world and He wants to redeem this world. And unless He became one of us, a human being, then He could not take upon Himself all of our sins. He could not die the death we should have died. He should not. He could not have raised from uh, the dead for us. He could not have been exalted back as the God-man to the throne in heaven. Jesus became one of us so that he might redeem us, so that he might destroy sin, Satan, and death. This was for our good, not for his good, for our good. He loves this world. That's why God sent his son. That's what it says in one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was for our eternal life, not his eternal life. He already had eternal life. This was for our eternal life that God sent his son. But the second verse, we don't know very well. The next verse, it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The world's already condemned. It's already condemned. We are already condemned because of our sin against God. We are destined for destruction. We're destined for death and for hell. But the son became a man so that on behalf of all mankind, he might taste death for us, that he might die our death, that he might bear our sin. And that he might rise from the dead so that we could rise from the dead. This is why Jesus Christ came. And that means redemption for all of us. And that's why in Galatians 4 it says, But when the fullness of time had come, when the right time that God had said had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God wants to adopt us as his sons and daughters and to redeem us. He sent forth his son. Why would God send forth someone so precious to him? Because he loves us and he wants to save us. He wants to save this world. I remember when I was a kid, my dad, I asked him one time, I might have been 10 or 11 or something, and I was sitting with him in the car and I was like, Dad, imagine this. Would you do this? And he's like, I ah, no. know. I said, well, imagine this. Would you do this? And it just kept getting worse and worse. And finally I said, well, what if the whole world was going to die? But if you sacrifice me, they could all live. Would you do it? And I'll never forget, my dad was real quiet and he said, no kind of almost angry no so why why do you say that it's the whole world he said because you're my son and i love you now my dad was a great father is a great father um, but that really shocked me it was like wow he really loves me and that's really true right You, you want to sacrifice your son you love your son but god gave his one and only son the only son who loved him the way sons are to love their fathers he gave him for us for our good And it says to redeem them, to buy them back, to wash away their sins, to fix what's broken, to heal the wounds, to bring the dead to life. Our God is a redeemer, and he's redeeming us through our adoption as his sons and daughters. That's what Jesus does. He adopts us into God's family. And so all that divides this world can be healed. That's why we say peace on earth and goodwill towards men. That goodwill that we have towards one another is because there's goodwill between us and God. And there's goodwill between us and God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so all that's dividing us can be healed in this world. God wants to save this world because he loves this world. He wants to redeem this world. There's all sorts of division in our world today. There's problems and chaos and confusion about identity. People don't even know the difference between girls and boys anymore. But when you're adopted into God's family, your identity is son and daughter of God. He defines who you are. He gives you your name. He tells you what your nature is. He tells you what you're for. He shows you what to do. And that identity is secure. It doesn't matter what your culture says. It doesn't matter what your heart says. What matters is what God says. And He has promised, as your Father, to take good care of you, to develop you, and father you, and grow you up into a mature person who bears His image fully. The identity that God gives us is the most secure identity there is. And it's the solution to all of our identity confusion today. This is how God is redeeming the world. There's racial division today, just like there was racial division in Rome. The Romans hated the barbarians. The the Jews hated the Samaritans. (laughs) Even Jesus' disciples. You had a tax collector, and he was hated by everybody. There were zealots. I mean, it was just a ragtag group. But in Christ, the whole human race is being reconciled to God. There's only two races in this world. There's only two. There's the dead race of men in Adam, and there's the race of men that have been reborn in Christ. We're either dead in Adam That's the old human race or alive in Christ. That's the new human race. And when you're adopted into God's family, that is your primary identity and race may no longer divide you. If God has forgiven you and if God has reconciled to you, you and him through Jesus, then you are to be reconciled to all the brothers and sisters that he's reconciled through Jesus. If you're black or white or Asian or Filipino or Australian, it doesn't matter If you are a son or daughter of God because of your faith in Christ, we have fellowship with one another and all those petty things no longer divide us. This is how God is redeeming the world. He's in control. He sent his son to redeem it and he's doing it. And in our own personal lives, he brings redemption. Some of you have sin in your life that's hidden. It's secret. Nobody knows. And it's it's enslaved you, but you can be free of it. You can confess it and repent it and be free from it because God has washed away that sin in Christ. The punishment you deserve that you're hiding from for that sin, that was poured out on Jesus 2,000 years ago. You can confess it and be forgiven. And God, will, through his spirit, can give you power and victory over those sins. You can have fellowship with other people and not be fake because God loves you. And if God loves you, you're good. If God is for you, you're good. It doesn't matter what the world says, but in the church, in the brothers and sisters of God, we love one another. You don't have to hide in your sin. You may be filled with regret, thinking that things that you've broken or messed up in the past is just too late. That's not true. God can redeem what's broken, and he can bring uh, great healing and purpose to your future. You may have a messy marriage or a messy household. Maybe there's problems and sin in your life in these areas. Maybe there's problems at work or problems with friends or whatever it is. If you will call upon the Lord, and you'll give your whole heart to him and say, I will do what you want, when you want, how you want. I confess these sins. I can't fix this problem. I can't I can't clean up this mess. Please help me. And then obey what he says. He'll bring redemption into your life. Now, it's your responsibility to respond to the Holy Spirit when he says to you, this is what Matt's talking about. This is the sin that you need to deal with. And then confess it to God. Confess it to one another. Ask God to forgive you, receive his forgiveness, and then repent and turn and start to walk in obedience to what he says. If you can read, you can read the scriptures. And if you're not sure what the scripture says about this area you're struggling with, that's why you have pastors and elders to help you. Let us know. We want to help. We're not here to judge. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We're all forgiven. We're all a mess. We're all being worked on by the Lord. This love of God that he has for the world, this generosity he's pouring out on us, it allows us to be free, to be generous and loving. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what kind of person he is. You know what he's doing for us. You know what he's done. You know who we serve. He says, though he was rich, though he was exalted, though he was ruling heaven and earth, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. And so we are now free to be generous with our time and our attention, with our kids. When we're tired and exhausted, we can pour out every little bit of energy we have with them because God will fill us back up. We can give our resources, our money to those in need. We can contribute to our collective effort at Church in the Valley because we don't have to be afraid. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to sleep? No, no, no. Our Father is going to take good care of us. He loved us so much, he sent his son, his most precious relationship. His son died for us. That's how much God has committed to you. That's how much he loves you. That's how good he's going to take care of you. So you're free to be generous. So if you want to respond to this second truth, that God loves this world, that he loves you, that he's redeeming this world, he's redeeming you, then respond by repenting in faith. Believe what God says. Believe there's no condemnation for you. Confess your sin. Turn from it and begin to walk in humble obedience. If you have conflict in your friendships, with your siblings, with your spouse, at work, anywhere, reconcile, seek forgiveness, confess your sin, admit what you've done wrong, and begin to relate rightly. Be generous with your money and your time. Be generous and be brave. Be brave to tell people the truth that Jesus is Lord, that the kingdom of God is open, that this adoption is available to everybody. Don't be afraid to speak about the Lord Jesus because he has been using people like you and I, telling people the good news for 2,000 years. Now is the time. You may be thinking, well, yeah, I mean, sure, I need to do that at some point, but now's not a good time. It is the time. Now is the time. Now. That's what the scripture says. Listen to what the scripture says. 2 Corinthians 6. Working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you. And in the days of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to respond. Don't wait. Use the Christmas season as an opportunity to repent of sin, to reconcile, to begin to act and walk like your Father has called you to walk. Don't put it off. If the Holy Spirit is, is convicting you of things in your life that need to be given up to God, then respond to it. Because God is saving this world, and he wants to save you. He's redeeming this world. He wants to redeem you. That's what we see in Isaiah 9, 6-7. through 7. This passage is something that we read during Christmas. There's Verses in this passage that are made their ways into Christmas songs. Listen to what it says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Do you need a wonderful counselor? Do you need wisdom? Do you are you stuck and you don't know what to do? Are you stuck? Stuck at work, stuck in your job, stuck in your relationships, in your marriage, with your kids, you don't know what to do, are you stuck financially? Are there problems that you just don't know you don't know what to do? Call upon the Lord Jesus. He is the wonderful counselor. Do you need the mighty God to help you? Do you feel weak? I just, I don't have the willpower. I don't have the strength. I don't have the desire. I just, I don't have it in me. Call upon the Lord. He is the mighty God. He will pour into you the will and the strength you need to deal with your sin, to repent of it, and to begin a walk in obedience and faith. He will do it if you will call upon him and obey him. Do you need an everlasting father? who will protect you and provide for you and preside over your life as a good father does for his children. Do you want that? Call upon the Lord Jesus. You've been adopted into the family of God if you have made Jesus Christ your Lord. And you can call upon him to be a father to you. Do you need peace? Are you stressed, anxious, afraid, discouraged because of some reality that you're dealing with? Call upon the Lord Jesus. And he will give you peace because in calling upon him, in reading the word of God, in thinking about what God is saying, in in, in soaking your mind in the truth, you will remember, as we've seen today, that God is in control, that he loves you and that he's going to take good care of you. And as you call upon him and tell him your burdens and tell him your fears and tell him what you need, he will pour his peace into your heart. He will pour peace into your home. He will give you confidence and peace despite all the chaos around you. It says that the kingdom that the Lord Jesus began 2,000 years ago, that it will never end. From this time forth forevermore. This kingdom, the kingdom of God, started 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem and has expanded and expanded and expanded around the globe. And our God intends for this government, this increasing government, to go on forevermore. It's not going to be stopped. Nobody can stop him. Caesar didn't stop him. The Sanhedrin didn't stop him. No kings or queens of this earth can stop him. The kingdom of God is unleashed on this earth, and it's been growing for 2,000 years, and it will grow and grow and grow forevermore. God loves this world, and God will save this world, and that includes you too. That's what God is doing. And how does that happen? How 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 is it that God's kingdom grows in my life, like my faith? How does my faith grow and my self-control grow? grow and my, my joy grow and my walking in obedience. how does that how does that happen it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. God will do it himself. So what's my part? My part is faith. It's believing what God says. It's believing that as I extend my hand, as I turn from sin, as I do what God calls me to do, that He will work and help me and give me success. That's what God is doing in your life. In the same way that the church, the people of God have expanded over the globe, the rule of God expands over our lives. It starts small, like a mustard seed of faith in our hearts. But as we trust and obey, trust and obey and rejoice and trust and obey with God's people, over time, his kingdom grows in our lives and it brings peace and joy. And that's why we rejoice during this holiday season. So my final application is this. In faith, call upon the Lord. I cannot expound all the areas of your life where there's problems, where there's pain, where you need redemption, where you need the powerful God who rules heaven and earth to show up and work, to fill you with hope, to fill you with courage, to heal what's wounded. I don't know all your circumstances, but I don't need to, because God does, and he is with you. Emmanuel, God with us, the divine descent to become one of us, with us. He's with you. If you are a son or daughter of God, the spirit of God dwells in you, and he is with you. So sing and praise and call upon him for all that you need. But then obey his commandments. He's not your Lord if you don't obey him. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If you are calling upon the Lord, but you're unwilling to go to his word and do what he commands you to do, you're not going to receive the grace that God wants to give you. You're not going to experience all that God wants to give you. You have to choose to repent, which means giving up your thinking, your patterns, your life, your agenda, your conditions, your way. And saying, God, what does your word say about being a man or a woman, being a husband or a wife, being a father or a mother? What is, how do you want our family to operate? How do you want me to work? How do you want me to handle my resources? How do you want me to manage my time? How should I use my body? What, what's off limits to me? What is sin and what is righteous? What's wise and what's foolish? How should I live my life? And as you do this daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, God begins to transform. He begins to break you free. He begins to renew. And you experience all that the kingdom of God promises. this world and as you do tell everyone the good news that jesus christ is lord that's the good news caesar's not lord jesus is lord jesus rules heaven and earth and because he's in charge there's no place you can go there's no circumstance you can be in there's no time that's too late he is the good news jesus is lord invite your friends invite your neighbors invite your families to come and see the goodness of god by being a part of church in the valley and as they're around church in the valley they will see the grace of god working in lives god will convince, convince them convict them this is really true and they'll put their faith in christ this is the hope we have this christmas this is the god we serve a god who's in control of all things who controls this world a god who loves this world and a god who will save this world and that includes your world too Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for sending your son. There's no time that's too late. There's no mess that you can't clean up. There's nothing in this world that can keep us from your love and good care. Because you are the Lord of heaven and earth. We ask that you would apply these words to our hearts, that you'd fill us with courage and faith and hope, and help us to respond with repentance, reconciliation, generosity this season. We pray that you would work in and through us. In Jesus' name.